Welcome to the Thoughts from the Couch podcast. I am your host, Justine Carino, licensed mental health counselor. I am here to lean into conversations about relationships, resilience, and recovery from life's challenges in order to support you on your journey to finding clarity in what you want for your future. We will talk about the things that no one else really wants to talk about in order to help you heal from past wounds and create a life that truly fulfills you. Please note, this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Hi, everyone. So this is my first solo episode besides my introduction episode in session one. It feels very weird for me to just talk by myself and not interview someone else, but I'm going for it. I'll be honest. The topic I'm talking about today is making me a little anxious. I'm going to be talking about being an adult child of an alcoholic. I've really put off recording this episode, which is a sign of my own perfectionism kicking in. I've thought to myself, am I doing the right thing about being so open while also being a a therapist? Will I be judged by others? Will my family be judged? Fear is definitely showing up for me. And when we fear things, we avoid them. I've basically avoided recording this all summer, Um, but I want to put it out there, so I'm doing it. The only people in my life that know about this part of me being the adult child of alcoholic are my family members and my closest friends, and I don't really share with clients this part of my life. Maybe a few times when it's been extremely clinically relevant to their treatment. And even with that, I hesitate a little bit. Another reason I've been so hesitant about recording this episode is because I've been trained as a psychotherapist to keep my own personal life private from clients. And I understand that rationale completely. And I stick to that rule. We are taught as therapists to be a blank slate and keep our own stuff at the door so we can really make space for our clients. But something has been pulling me to share a little bit about this topic, especially since I work with so many people who have parents who struggle with alcoholism. Also, I am a human being. I have a past. I have a story of my own, as well as my own stuff or baggage, whatever you want to call it. And my own experiences make me more relatable and helps me become a better therapist. So in this episode... I will not share every specific detail of my own experience living in a family with an alcoholic, but I will only share what I think others can relate to and learn from after listening to this. So my dad is an alcoholic. He's been an alcoholic for most of his life. I spoke to him about sharing this part of our lives on this platform, and he was okay with it. And I think that's fantastic because so many people can relate to this conversation. It's also reflective of where he is at with his disease right now. He has done a lot of work, and he is being really brave, and I'm so proud of him. Alcoholism affects so many people. One in eight adults in America meet criteria for an alcohol use disorder. I've also read that one in four families are impacted by a family member who struggles with alcoholism. Also, more than 10% of children in the United States live with a parent with an alcohol use disorder. That is a lot of children being impacted by this disease, and this breaks my heart because we're in the middle of a pandemic, and children do not have many ways to get some space from their home environments right now. 
And here I am talking about other people and not myself, which is what I set out to do to talk about myself. And I think maybe I'm stalling. So I'm going back on track here. I did not know my father was an alcoholic until I was a young adult. I had no idea. He was a highly functional alcoholic. He went to work every single day and came home every single night. He was often at the bar after work and would come home later, but he always came home. As a kid, I didn't know what being at the bar for happy hour meant. I just thought my mom was mad that he was late for dinner. But I always knew something wasn't right in the family, especially with my parents' marriage. But I did not know exactly what it was. I'm lucky enough to look back and have so many happy and fond memories of my childhood. And I definitely see my privilege in that. Not many people can say that, especially children raised by an alcoholic parent. So I I consider myself lucky. There were difficult times in my childhood, and I know my parents did the best that they could to keep my brother and I away from what was going on with my dad and his drinking. They always wanted to protect us from it. My brother and I saw a lot of fighting between our parents, but we had no idea alcohol was a part of that. At least I didn't, and I really didn't put it together until later, until I was a young adult. And looking back on it all now, it makes complete sense. According to my dad, he started drinking as a teenager at the age of 15. And listen, I work with teens on a daily basis. This age is not so far off. Here in Westchester County, New York, the average age that a teenager has their first drink is about 14 years old. So that puts you kind of like eighth grade, ninth grade. And as a mental health professional, I can tell you that studies show that the earlier a teen starts drinking, the more likely they will have struggles with substance abuse as an adult. So parents out there, you really need to monitor. You really need to consider this. You really need to keep a close eye. And you can't be giving your kids alcohol in high school. I hear about that way too much. It drives me insane. But anyway... My dad feels as though his substance abuse really became more out of control and more of a problem as he got older. My dad grew up with a lot of trauma in his life. His father was an alcoholic, and so was his father, and so on, so forth. My father also had a younger sister named Rosanna, who died of leukemia when she was about four years old. And my dad was only a few years older than her. There were three boys and one girl. And this loss took a huge toll on the family at the time, as you could imagine. I have no idea how people survive after they lose a child. And having a child of my own, I just, I can't imagine it. I also can't imagine losing a younger sibling in childhood at that age. I mean, at any age, it's horrible. But his parents stayed together after that that loss. I know we typically see parents separate after something so traumatic. Um, But who knows if they ever really recovered from that. My father also faced more trauma as an adolescent. He was sexually abused by an adult in his town. I did not learn about this until a few years ago. And it's a deep secret my father has kept his whole life. He gave me permission to share this part of his story, and he did it because he knows that many people can relate to this. Sexual abuse is a topic that people stay silent about. No one ever wants to talk about it. There's so much shame around it, 
and there shouldn't be. A lot of victims blame their, themselves for what happened. They think there's something then wrong with them that they start to internalize. And they think if people know about it, they'll be judged. But on this podcast, nothing is off limits. I want to erase shame. I want to erase stigmas. Everyone has a story we can learn from. And my father knows that people suffer with demons from childhood sexual abuse. So alcohol became a way of coping with emotions for my father. It's very common that alcohol and other substances can become a coping skill for managing pain related to trauma. It's not a good coping skill, but it is a way people learn to numb out, avoid feeling things, suppress their emotions. And this type of coping skill works temporarily, not long-term. It provides momentary relief, maybe for a few hours, but that's how the cycle can begin for people. They feel that relief, and then they want more to escape. Also, using alcohol and substances as a coping skill is modeled in many families, and it was definitely modeled in his. You observe a parent using alcohol or another substance as a way to cope with their own stressors, and you might learn that this will benefit you too. It becomes a way of life, and it's modeled to us. We think it's normal, even though it's dysfunctional. We just think it's normal. I recently heard an analogy about this, um, about a litter of puppies, and the mother dog could not use her back legs. She only walked around with her two front legs. And when her puppies began to walk, they too only used their front legs and not their hind legs because that's what they saw modeled to them. They didn't know it wasn't normal to walk this way. They were just copying what they saw. They were mimicking what they saw. This is so crazy to me. We are taught so many dysfunctional things that we think are normal and we have to unlearn them as we become adults. But at the time, we don't realize that they're dysfunctional. So my father really did not hit his rock bottom until the past few years, although he struggled with alcoholism his entire life. One instance really sticks out in my memory as a time I became very suspicious about his drinking. My dad had a very bad car accident when I was about 16 years old. It was a snowstorm, and he went to go plow at a family member's driveway, which was really common. He's done it a million times. He had a plow on his truck, but he was also intoxicated. He skid and hit a tree and flew right through his windshield. He was not wearing his seatbelt, and that's a great example of how alcohol can cloud your judgment. And as a result of the accident, he broke his hip, he had severe damage to his head, and was rushed to Westchester Medical Center. That hospital was pretty far for us at the time because I grew up in Ulster County. So it wasn't like a 20-minute drive. It was, it was longer. I really didn't know what I was walking into when I went to visit him for the first time at, at the hospital. I went into the ICU and saw his head all bandaged and bloody, um, rods inserted by his knee in this contraption that was pulling his hip down and out slowly out of its socket and stabilized it for him um, after his surgery. And I walked into his hospital room, saw what was going on, couldn't handle it, and then ran right back out and threw up. And I still can't smell, stand the smell of a hospital because of that moment, I think. 
Um, and I also used to visit my grandmother a lot in the hospital when she was fighting breast cancer. So I don't really have a lot of happy memories associated with that hospital smell. It's like that, that hospital food smell it grosses me out. And smells can trigger so many memories of the past, especially traumatic ones. And actually, the brain region that manages smells and memories and emotions, those regions are very much intertwined. And in fact, the way that your sense of smell is wired to your brain is the most unique amongst your five senses. That distinct smell of hospital food still triggers me and gives me such an anxious feeling right away. But smells can also be a good thing. Like I love the smell of grass, fresh cut. There's so many smells that bring you back to childhood and happy memories. But this is just an example of how smells can trigger some pretty bad memories for people. So my father was in a wheelchair for a while after this accident, and he could not work for about nine months. And this was financially rough for us because he owned his own business. And in order to produce an income, he had to physically be there working. So you would think that this was his rock bottom at the time, but it wasn't. And with physical therapy, he eventually recovered and went back to work. And his health, his physical health and his hip have been okay since then. My dad's drinking then escalated in 2008 when I graduated college and the stock market crashed and business as a result was not going well for him. This is when the drinking took a turn, probably for the worst. And long story short, my parents are no longer together and have been divorced about seven years now. And it truly is for the best. They are both happy, and I enjoy seeing them both happy. So maybe it's what needed to happen for them. My parents decided to separate the same year I got engaged. Let me tell you, that was just so much fun, as you could imagine. Talk about wedding drama. You have no idea. Uh, I did not get to have my father walk me down the aisle or dance with me on that day. My brother took that role because I had to set a strong boundary at the time based on some of the chaos that was going on with his disease and the circumstances of the divorce. It was extremely hard to make that decision and I've questioned it time and time again, um, but I had to do what I had to do at the time. And learning about boundaries and setting boundaries are key in alcoholic family systems. I talk about this so much with my clients. Families with alcoholism in it often do not know what appropriate boundaries are. And it takes some teaching and learning and unlearning to correct these patterns. I'm happy to say that my dad and I have a very good relationship today. And, you know, it's still painful to think about him not being there on my wedding day. But like I said, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. And sometimes the hardest decisions are the right decisions in that moment. Okay, I yelled at my daughter because she decided to dump an entire glass of water all over the bathroom floor on purpose while just looking me dead in the eyes. And in hindsight, it really felt like a mom fail that I reacted that way. You know, her spilling the water wasn't even a big deal. It didn't matter. I was just feeling really stressed out about work, getting to the kids to school on time. And it was just one more thing to clean up and deal with in the morning during chaos. And it was a little overwhelming. 
I'm a busy working mom, and for the longest time, this was almost a daily recurrence, yelling at my kids because I was so stressed out. And it kept happening because I didn't know how to take care of myself and get the care I needed. So instead, I became drained, overbearing, and an irritable mess in the house. (laughs) So now, through intentional self-care strategies and some simple techniques for anxiety and stress management that have become non-negotiables for me, I am doing more that I enjoy and stressing less. I want you to have the same relief. I want you to have more days with less mom guilt, more moments of fun and presence with your kids, and making good memories with your family. Also, more of living your life well. Join me for the Path to Peace live group program to clarify and prioritize what you truly want for yourself and your family and learn how to slow down and say no more often to the things that don't align with you. You can learn more about the Path to Peace by clicking the link in the show notes or heading to carinocounseling.com. My own parents' divorce gave me a lot of insight to what divorce family systems go through. Divorce is so difficult no matter how old you are. And now I have a new perspective on what it must be like for kids and teenagers who cannot make their own decisions or set their own boundaries to survive a divorce and protect themselves from it. So children's and teens of divorce, I really see you and I feel you out there. There were times when people in my family did not speak to each other or have relationships with each other at all. It was really tough to navigate But as an adult, I had choices about how to handle it all. Unfortunately, kids and teenagers do not have these types of choices. They're really forced into certain situations. So I started my own therapy when I was 23 years old and in graduate school. I continued until I was about 28 years old on and off during that time period And it really was so helpful in my 20s. I loved going to therapy. I learned so much about myself during that time. And it was so freeing to talk to a third party about everything that was going on in my own family system, you know, that no one else had to really know or I didn't want to talk about with anyone else. And I didn't know the term adult child of an alcoholic until I started therapy with my own therapist, Deanna. She gave me a book to read called Perfect Daughters by Dr. Robert Ackerman. Let me tell you, this book blew my mind. It was the first time I truly felt understood and seen. So much made sense to me while reading that book, and it explained a lot of the traits I developed over time due to living in an alcoholic family system. I recommend it to everybody. So in this book, the author mentions the common thought of If I only do everything just right, meaning if I do everything right, maybe I can control the uncertainty of people's reactions in my home or the fighting in my home, or maybe I can distract them all from each other if I am perfect and they can focus on me instead of themselves and their conflicts or dysfunction. I relate to this so much and many children of alcoholics feel this disproportionate need to control everything. Yes, I am a control freak. (laughs) Other children of alcoholics also have a disproportionate need for approval from others, especially the alcoholic parent. They want the approval from the alcoholic parent. And this can be played out in their other relationships and become almost a habit 
or pattern of attachment, always needing approvals from others to feel worthy. That's deep. That's really deep. I have also learned through my own therapy, my own education, and from reading that there are a lot of common traits that adult children of alcoholic share. And I will list some of these for you. And I've pulled these traits from two sources. One is the book Adult Children of Alcoholics by Jane G. Woiditz. I don't know if I'm saying that right. And the piece called The Laundry List by Tony A. So here are a few traits that I find a lot of adults relating to when I work with them in therapy. I'm going to list them. One, we became approval seekers and lost our identity in the process. We are frightened by angry people and any personal criticism. We either become alcoholics, marry them, or both, or find another compulsive personality, such as work, being a workaholic, to fulfill our sick abandonment needs. Wow. We have an overdeveloped sense of responsibility, and it is easier for us to be concerned with others rather than ourselves. This enables us not to look too closely at our own faults. We have feelings of guilt when we stand up for ourselves, and instead we just give in to others so we don't have to feel that way. We became addicted to excitement. We lie when it would be just as easy to tell the truth. We have to often guess what normal behavior is. We have a high tolerance for dysfunction. We are extremely loyal, even in the face of evidence that the loyalty is not deserved. And we are impulsive. Yikes. (laughs) Lots of work to do if you're an adult child of an alcoholic. We often don't realize these types of reactions in ourselves until someone points them out to us and then bam, light bulbs go off. Children of alcoholics often also feel as though they can control their parents' alcoholism. They think that if they say or do certain things, it can get their parent to stop using or prevent them from relapsing, so on, so forth. And a lot of this false sense of control leads the child to end up enabling the parent's use. And this feeling of responsibility to help the parent stop is so exhausting because you absolutely cannot control their disease. There's literally nothing you can do to get them to stop. And a lot of people take that personally um, and think, aren't I enough? Wouldn't, wouldn't I be enough for my parent to stop? Or wouldn't their grandchildren or great-grandchildren or their family be enough to get them to stop? And It's not personal like that. It's a disease you literally cannot control. There's nothing you can do. It's 100% up to the person to make a change. And as the child, you want so badly to see them change. And you may take on certain roles thinking your level of involvement will help them change. But it won't and it can't. And that is painful and that is scary for so many people. And knowing you have absolutely no control over your parents' use or decisions can be really frightening at first. It can be completely overwhelming, and you constantly live in a state of thinking of the worst-case scenarios. But once you accept that you can't do anything to change them or control them, it's actually quite freeing for you. 
you let go of that responsibility and you accept the situation for what it is and you can start to make decisions that are best for you without worrying constantly, without feeling that pressure to do something to get them to change or to save them. That's a, that's a big weight to carry on your shoulders. Through my process of understanding of alcoholism and recovery, I also went to a few Al-Anon meetings. My mother went as well. For those who do not know, Al-Anon is a support program for people who have a family member struggling with alcoholism. So there's AA and then there's Al-Anon. Meetings often run at the same time of an AA meeting. So the alcoholic attends their AA meeting and the family member goes to their own meeting, usually in the same building but different room. For me, those meetings were really overwhelming. I was filled with so much emotion, but I also felt a relief being around people who could relate to what I was going through. I don't think I spoke one word in the first few meetings, but I felt so connected to everyone that was there. And we were all ages as adults. They have separate ones for teens. But uh, there were 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 80-year-olds, 60-year-olds, people talking about their parents, their siblings, their kids. I mean, it's really, really hard to talk to friends and family members who don't have a loved one struggling with an addiction. They have no idea what it's like. They have no idea what to say to you, and you fear their judgment. You just imagine them gossiping behind your back to others about what you've just shared with them. It's so uncomfortable, but our secrets make us sick. Shame does nothing for us except keep us disconnected and alone and isolated. And I value realness and honesty, and I try to practice that as best I can. So those meetings made me feel more connected and less alone. So after all of these years, I'm also happy to say that my father is in recovery. He tried AA back in about 2008 when he first came out to the family about some escalating struggles. But in the end, he did not feel as though that model was the right model for him. He later made some choices while in the midst of his alcoholism, which caused him to hit his rock bottom, and he was mandated to an outpatient rehab. He attended his program there for about nine months and just graduated this past summer, this past July 2020. He was working full-time in the day and would attend his program in the evenings, four days a week, three hours per session. It took up a lot of time. He had both group therapy and individual therapy. And guess what? It worked. Yeah, it worked. I have not seen him this happy in a long time. I'm beyond proud of him and the person he's become. He's battled this disease his whole life. He's 66, I think he's 66, and he's finally sober. That only took him 50 years. (laughs) So there's hope, my friends. It is absolutely never too late to change your life, to start your next chapter, to have part two. I mean, it really is bullshit to say that you're too old or your time has passed and you're just going to be the way you are. Not true. That's a really unhelpful narrative. You can have part two. You can make different choices for yourself. So for any of you out there listening who feel like they can relate and resonate to what I just spoke about, you can heal from your past. You can heal from being the child of an alcoholic. 
You can work through some of the dysfunction you saw and discover new ways of being and get rid of traits that no longer serve you as an adult in this world. There are other people like you. You're not the only one who has gone through this. I want you to know that you are not alone and people get you, even if it doesn't feel that way. I hope you enjoyed listening to the information shared during this episode. Please consider subscribing so you can stay updated when new episodes are released. And don't forget to check out the podcast show notes to find any resources that were mentioned in today's conversation. Thank you for listening and enjoy all the moments your day has to offer you.